Welcome to CPP Chat, a multi-byte look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we get to this week's set of characters, John has a disclaimer to read. Actually, Phil, with this many characters, I think we need to have two disclaimers. So that's what we're going to have today. Uh, the first is, <clears throat> all characters appearing in this work are fictitious. Any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, are purely coincidental. The second disclaimer is, this is a draft document which may be updated, replaced, or superseded by other documents at any time. Publication does not imply endorsement by the Unicode Consortium. This is not a stable document. It is inappropriate to cite this document other than a work in process. Progress, excuse me. All right. So um, we've got a little bit of a different format today, and it's simply because of the number of, as I said earlier, characters. Um, we've got several people from SG16. We will be asking them what SG16 is and what their goal is and why we're trying to figure that out. But first, Phil, um, I want to share uh, my really lame Unicode joke, right? Is everybody ready for this? Okay. A Unicode character walks into a bar. Bartender says, why the long face? Unicode character says, I have a parody error. Bartender says, well, you looked a bit off. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so we've set a low bar. Everything everything from here on is going to be better. All right. Um, actually, one of the things that we have uh, in StreamYard is we have a limit of only six people can be here. So we actually, um, there's actually six of us. So I think Phil's going to kind of excuse himself after we go through the news. Is that the idea, Phil? And then we'll... Yeah, that's right. We've got uh, we've got Steve Downey um, off to the side in, in the waiting room. Okay, uh, he's going to join us for the rest of the show. All right, and then but if Phil has a comment, he'll pop back in to ask questions or make comments or whatever. Um, so let's talk a little bit about news. We're going to get through this so that we can get into the talk. One of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, CPP Cast this uh, this morning. I listened to CPP Cast with Barry Revson. Uh, Revzin, I think is that to say his name. Uh, it was it was a great show. It's always a great show. Yeah, Revzin. I always say that about CBP Cast. I always watch, listen, and this time, uh, you know, it just came out this morning, so I was listening already. Um, normally, I can listen while I'm driving or you know, somewhat engaged with doing chores or something like that. But this one, I think I'm going to have to listen to it again and pay attention to what, playing playing with the compiler as we're talk as they're talking because he covered a lot of good stuff with some corner cases and interesting stuff so i really want to make sure everybody uh listens to that uh what else is going on phil hello i'm inserting this in here by the magic of post editing our original news segment was from just before the coronavirus situation really took off in the west we even said that no c++ conference has been cancelled yet by the time of this edit, all C++ conferences that we know of up to September have been cancelled, postponed or moved online. The rest of the discussion seems a bit out of date now and maybe is even inappropriate in places, so I'm cutting this out and moving straight on to the main material. So let's rejoin. Anything else we need to touch on before we, uh, before we start talking about SG16 and what all our characters are gathered for? I think we've, with so many people on, we should really get into the meat of the show. Okay. So so I'm going to duck off and let, uh, let Steve join. All right. Um, so, uh, there, you know, I'm not sure exactly where to start with this, but what I want to do is is ask Corentin to give us a little bit of the background on what Unicode is about. I suspect most professional programmers today have touched it in some way, but a lot of people don't work with text a lot. So the, 
let's start at the beginning. Okay. Um, so 5,000 years. Hang on one second first. I, I forgot. I, I haven't introduced you and I don't want to introduce. I hate that when we oh, yeah. do a whole bunch of introductions. So I want you to introduce yourself and we'll do introductions kind of as you say something. How about that? I'm really bad at doing uh, my own biography, so I would just say that I'm a freelance C++ developer. I've been doing C++ for more than a decade, I think. Uh, I'm a committee member, and I participate to a lot of study groups, including Unicode, uh, Library Evolution, uh, Tooling, and so forth. Um, so Unicode, um, people have been writing for 5,000 years. Uh, or so. Uh, we have invented writing maybe five, six times. We don't really know actually how writing developed, uh, for example, in China. And this writing system has been evolving uh, unchecked for 5,000 years ago. And at some point, we decided we want to put that in computers, right? And it turns out that it's really complicated to basically try to encode the entire uh, human uh, cultures into a binary system. But it's, but it's basically what Unicode tries to do, right? So Unicode is both a way to encode characters. So uh, try to give uh, basically each existing character a number. Like say the letter A is um, number uh, 65 and um, so the Chinese character is number a thousand and something, right? And at the same time, they're trying to um, encode every possible local uh, that exists, so every um, um, way to format number, every uh, way to say what um, the week names are, month names, and so forth. So it's really trying to encode many, many things about uh, about culture. Wait, wait a minute. And so when people say... Uni are you saying there's now a, a Unicode character for the days of weeks and names of months? No, but they are like a database of translation. Oh, I see. That is related to local, but Unicode does also that, right? So Unicode is both uh, characters, uh, algorithm tied to, to this character, right? So you have like upper casing, lower casing, uh, which exists for uh, Latin alphabet uh, normalization, which we can maybe talk later, I don't know. So all, all these algorithms, algorithm, these characters, and they also have uh, a database of local information. So Unicode is not just a Unicode standard, they have uh, all these different things they're trying to do. And so trying to digitalize uh, local characters and the things that most people are most interesting about, they also do emojis, and that's, takes a lot of time to do emojis, but they do that. But their principal mission is to try to um, encode all languages and all characters. And so that has like, um, it's important for people to, uh, that are using this character today, right? But they're also trying to um, digitalize uh, dead language, dead characters, uh, so people can do research and literature and research paper about uh, old Egyptian or some older civilization. And it also helps uh, small cultures be preserved, right? Because uh, if people don't have like a computer, they can use it their language, that language dies eventually. So Unicode try to preserve all of that culture for hopefully for eternity. So, you know, those of us who have lots of gray hair and I have lots of gray hair, um, 
kind of in, remember what it was like pre-Unicode, right? I mean, it used to be that the way we did this was we had um, some kind of encoding for every kind of string, and you, it's you, some different encoding. And if you wanted to trans, translate between one encoding and another, it's possible characters just weren't there and you would just lose data. Um, and um, to make matters worse, the way the Windows worked is they had something called a code page. wasn't exactly an encoding, but it was kind of. And this is just a mess. So I think Unicode was kind of started by three guys, right? It was one guy at Apple and one guy at Sun and something like that. One guy at IBM. It was a few. I think at the time they were trying to do something for the Apple II computer in Japan. Ah. That was the starting point of that. And it was people from Apple, I think, uh, Xeros, because um, Xeros had the previous uh, encoding that was somewhat universal. And maybe at some point people are Adobe. I'm not sure about the okay. All right, early no. years, but that's like eighty between eighty-five and eighty-nine, basically. So we have huge buy-in of a single encoding standard, right? And you know that was what Unicode was specific. That's why its name is Uni, right? It's like yeah. uh, the the famous uh, XKCD, you know, cartoon about well, you know, we have fourteen standards. There should be one. So now there's fifteen. But no, Unicode actually was successful at kind of unifying the standards. Um, but that didn't really have a huge impact on C++, at least not right away. So I'm going to introduce Tom or allow Tom to introduce himself. And I'm going to ask you about what the heck is SG16? Where did that come from? And, uh, and what's your mission? So yeah, SG, um, well, I'll introduce myself first. Tom Hanneman. I work for Synopsys on the Coverty Static Analyzer, where I've been there for, I think, coming up on nine years now. I've been attending C++ committee meetings since Linexa in 2015. I think this last one uh, marked my 11th uh, meeting that I've been to. So it's um, been, been a good ride getting to, to meet all the experts out there and get to know them and, and make all the connections and, and getting to work with these, these great group of, of guys. Um, so SG16. Um, SG16 got, got its start... Uh, shortly after the Toronto meeting in 2017, when myself and Zach and uh, Mark Zarin, uh, we, we got together, or we sitting around thinking about Unicode issues and, and kind of what, wanting to do something about it. We started informally meeting uh, for a few months back then. And, and then in the um, Jacksonville meeting in 2018, uh, Beeman Dawes encouraged uh, us to, to um, uh, to form a study group, and we went went to Herb and talked with him about it, and and that ended up uh, getting formalized uh, then. And then we we had our first meeting, our first official face to face meeting was in San Diego in 2018, and I think we've met at every meeting since then. Um, so good five or six meetings now. Uh, meanwhile, we we continue to meet about approximately biweekly via telecons. And usually have somewhere between six and, and ten attendees, and we are working on a, a bunch of different issues. That some of which uh, we've been able to land in C plus plus twenty. Okay. Um, but most are focused on C plus plus twenty three because um, we, we by the time we got started, there wasn't much runway left for in C plus plus twenty. For twenty, right? So let me ask you this. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, SG sixteen is Unicode. Do you have a specific mission? Or is it anything Unicode-related, we want to chew on it in the SG16? Well, uh, we have a paper that, that discusses that. It is P1238, 
And so if you go and, and search for P1238 and SG16, you'll find it. And it, it lists a, a number of um, constraints, like things about the language that maybe we would like to be able to change, but don't feel that we have the flexibility to do so because of backward compatibility impact and, and things like that. And then it lists a number of, um, of uh, directives for ourselves, to things to go fix and, and go change. Um, so that, that's kind of, I think we'll dive into some of the details on, on that more a little later. Um, but it, it's, the, the paper's due for an update, which I hope to, that we'll get done uh, for Varna, uh, to, to mo focus more on C++23. Um, but, but it kind of goes over the things that we, we would like to make improvements. Right. I assume your, your mission evolves as the state of the language evolves. What your victories are changes what you start working on next. Does that make sense? Yes, and, and, and it does have a, a scope section to it as well. Like our, our mission is really text processing. Um, and so like text rendering doesn't fall under our scope. That falls more under SG13, the, the HMI group Okay. Um, to, to take care of. Um, All right. And same with like, like input devices or, or things like that. We're really looking at text. Peter, Peter, go ahead and introduce yourself and... Yeah, so my name is Peter Brett. I work for Cadence Design Systems, which is one of Synopsis's main competitors in the market. <laughs> um, I've been working on electronics design software since, well, 2006, really, but I've only really been working in C since um, 2014. So I'm relatively new to C++ compared to many of the other SG16 members, but I've been wrestling with text and particularly translation in open source software for quite some time. That's my main reason for being interested in text. Now, one of the things I found really interesting when I uh, started participating in C++ standardization was that SG16 is called the Unicode study group, but it's not, that's not really a good description for it um, really it's coming to it's coming to be the sort of clearinghouse for anything related to text or, or localization really um, and looking at the papers that are coming through in both Belfast and in Prague and now I think people talking about bringing stuff to Tavana as well um, the the remit really does extend well beyond just Unicode, and perhaps we should be talking about changing its name. <laughs> <laughs> I think we actually are officially, in at least in some of the documents, the text study group, not just Unicode. Ah, thank you, Steve. So, yeah, sometimes we're Unicode, sometimes we're text, sometimes we're Unicode and text processing. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, so, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm Steve Downey. I uh, work at Bloomberg. I've uh, been a programmer for about 30 years now. Um, here at Bloomberg for 17, um, where I do a lot of work at, um, with customer-facing communications, um, our customer-facing email and instant messaging system. So I'm on the uh, leading edge sharp point of the stick with dealing with text issues because uh, people don't like it whenever sure and and bloomberg is going to have customers in speaking all languages and yes and we, for since nearly the beginning bloomberg has um 
done a lot of work with localization and internationalization. It's like we want to sell to everyone um, and present their data uh, to them and to everyone else. And that's hard because text is terrible. It's like we've had to, as you mentioned earlier, it's like with all the encodings, it's like, and although Unicode solves a lot of those problems, none of those encodings have gone away. Um, there's, <laughs> all the data is still out there. Um, people still exchange in various local uh, formats. Um, so it's like even on the web, uh, it's like one of the first bits of information that goes across on a web page is what is the rest of this data encoded in? Um, and, and, and there are people actively working on things that are not Unicode? Um, not so much actively working on. I don't think anyone is going to propose another uh, encoding standard. Well, I don't mean on the um, standard, but what I'm saying is, are there web pages out there that a, are? Oh, yes. Yeah, actually, it's a, um, check that all the time. And also email. Uh, I've got to keep a, a, a report coming in of uh, all the different encodings from Internet email that come into our system. And there are a lot. Um, they're also often wrong. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the email will claim to be in one encoding and, um, parts of it may be, but other parts of it aren't. Um, I think one this is part of our remit is like, we want to make it easier for C++ programmers to do the right thing, um, and not have things broken by accident, uh, which is, the, the state of things today, if you're just dealing with a, with a bag of bytes and you want to uh, take a, a substring out of it, you've probably just broken things terribly. Right. So we don't want things broken by accident. We want them broken. On purpose. Intentionally. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, so, Zach, um, do you want to introduce yourself and let us know about um, uh, what, what, hap- what, what got into 20 that was from SG16. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm Zach Lane. I'm a, a Boost author and a committee member, and I also work at Kane's uh, Design Systems, uh, just like Peter does, although we only know each other through SG16. It's a big organization with <laughs> lots of moving parts. Um, so, um, yeah, so one of the things that made it in was, you know, we've got a lot of papers that come in front of us that um, are asking the question, uh, you know, they look at something like file system, they see there's all these interfaces that are WCHRT, there's all these other interfaces that are char, and what should I do in my library? What's the best practice now? And we've been trying to steer people in the right direction for that. So there's been uh, a lot of stuff that has not made it into 20, uh, but that is uh, part of the 20 pipeline or 20 era pipeline. So stuff that started before we standardized 20 that we've been doing that with. One thing in particular that has made it in uh, that's really significant is, is uh, Tom's work doing uh, char 18. So char is a new character type that is presumed to be UTF-8. And um, I was one of the people that didn't get this for a long time, and I think I finally uh, understand this, and maybe I can explain it. If, if I'm wrong, Tom can correct me. But, uh, so the idea here is that if I have char I can make overload sets that include char and char because they're different types that do not alias with each other. Uh, they're not typed up with each other. Um, uh, you can effectively say, well, I've got this interface for people that want to truck in char eight, um, uh, sorry, UTF eight uh, data. And I've got this other interface for whatever the platform encoding is. 
And so that lets you build those kind of interfaces uh, together. So, so in other words, so in other words, you have two types that all their properties are exactly the same, but they are distinct types. They are not a type def. One is not a type def of the other. That's right. They're, they're almost identical. They do have some different properties. I, I said on accident, I said the word alias, but that's because in my head, because one of the things about char and uh, unsigned char is that they alias with other um, uh, pointer types um, because of the rules of C++, like that's just the way they work. And so uh, you get slightly more optimal code using char 8t just because it doesn't alias with anything else. Um, so that's one difference, for instance. Okay. Um, so uh, another thing that got in was... Um, you know, uh, Victor Zverevich, who has the very nice um, um, FMT library, which became Stood Format, um, he got involved with us because he wanted to get uh, the interfaces for format, the, you know, the correct interfaces for format along the lines of uh, which kinds of char interfaces to support and stuff like that. And uh, I feel like we steered him in the right direction. And then towards the end, he said, you know, we've got this, uh, you know, like width encoding, uh, or sorry, not with encoding, but uh, with estimation we want to do for, for text. Um, so when you print out text to a terminal, you say, like, I want to print like this uh, with padding so that it's eight characters wide. Um, and so pad to the left or pad to the right or center or whatever. And figuring out how wide a character is turns out to be um, best solved by using one of the Unicode algorithms plus a table lookup. And uh, so we actually got that into the standard. So that is the recommended way of doing that. But because we understand some platforms are embedded, they might not want this table, they might not want the big heavy algorithm, so it might be just estimated with this one. So it's implementation defined, but I know that Microsoft already has plans to support uh, the Unicode, full Unicode version of things. And I I don't know about other uh, implementers, but they were very vocal in the room that that's that's what they're going to do. So so let me ask you about this now. So you're you're asking for the width of of a string? That's right. Or the width of that's right. Okay, and and this is a the printed width. This isn't the column width, assuming one column per character. That's right. Because let's say I print out. So we have to know what the font is, and we have to know. Well, we have need an S no, for it. No, no, no. We don't. It, it starts to get sticky here because we have to have the notion of a terminal. Okay. Um, but it's not really a terminal. It's essentially your your FMT works on format works on buffers of characters, and the buffers could be streamed out afterwards. Uh, and so then you have the notion of a terminal in the wording, but um, really you should think of it as if I'm putting stuff in a buffer, um, I want the stuff in the buffer to fit. And there's like a, a, a maximum number of, of characters and chars that you're going to write out in the, into the buffer. So that's just to prevent buffer overflows and, and those kind of mechanical uh, safety concerns. Right. But there's a different notion of like, when I look at the characters that I put in the buffer in some kind of uh, visual format, um, either in a terminal or I print out a piece of paper or what have you, how wide are they? And typically, like if I print out foo, F-O-O, I'm going to get obviously three characters wide no matter what. That's always going to be three characters wide. If I print out F-O combining umlaut, so it's supposed to combine with the first O and then another O, right. that shouldn't be four wide, it should be three wide. And the reason is that there's a Unicode algorithm that says, um, if I chunk up this string into characters where a character is a loose term in all of Unicode. But in this case, I mean a, a technically an uh, extended graphing uh, cluster, right? A glyph. Almost. Because Unicode, almost. Um, um, so just to be clear, a glyph is something that lives in a font. Right. A grapheme is something that lives in Unicode. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a, a glyph uh, does not correspond one one to an extended grapheme cluster for a variety of reasons. Um, 
for instance, you can put a combining umlaut and a combining circle and a combining bar and a combining little hat and a combining whatever. Uh, there's no glyph for that. But when you render it, you're supposed to put them all together in one character column. Okay. So the extended graphene clustering algorithm says that's a width of one um, with all that garbage, uh, even though when you render it, it's going to look like nuts. You can't make sense of it. Right? Um, so anyway, that's because there is a good algorithm for this, a, a fairly stable algorithm uh, called the graphene clustering algorithm. And uh, we said, hey, we should, <clears throat> we should do what Unicode does here. And the reason is if we don't do it now, even before that graphene clustering algorithm is available for users as an algorithm in the standard library or something, uh, if we don't do it that way now, people are going to come to rely on the columnar width of everything, and then we're going to be stuck forever. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of how, like, uh, because of this study group, we've been able to influence some things so that we do them the right way the first time, which is, uh, like, you know, mark it on your calendar because it doesn't happen that much, right? <laughs> <laughs> Usually something is subtly wrong with everything we standardize, and we don't realize it until after the fact. And I think this is a good catch. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy that we got that done. Yeah. I think one... One of the other things that we influenced with format um, is making it locale agnostic for the most okay. part, which is a subtle thing, but it's like um, people, yes. locale is terrible. We um, will we'll need to replace it eventually, but by default, um, format ignores locale unless you give it a locale or tell it to use explicitly the locale for, uh, for formatting. So it's un- completely unlike IO streams where someone changes the locale and suddenly your um, your floating point numbers have commas. So, um, you know, this show is about giving people the opportunity to rant. Who wants to rant about locale? <laughs> What's wrong with locale? <laughs> Peter, Peter got his hand up first. So, Peter, you get to rant. What's, what's wrong with locale? Um. Roughly speaking, everything. <laughs> um, so, so uh, this is one of the weird things that I'm, I'm the most outspoken person in this study group about the need for localization facilities in the standard library. It's not an optional feature. But the problem is that the current stood locale implementation of, I suppose implementation is not the right word, but what we've standardized in terms of locale isn't actually solving our um, standard users' problems. Which, what are the standard users' problems? Uh, it's, what, what is it that we're trying to solve? So suppose that I'm a German software engineer working in Germany, writing a, uh, a software program for use by German users. I don't want to have to jump through a big pile of hoops to get my floating point numbers to turn up with commas as the decimal separator. And that is the case? And, that is- and that's, uh, at the moment, interestingly, we've made it too easy to step into locale land, right? We want to say, ah, I want to be able to ingest my JSON from the web service and then I want to use um, sort of um, standard, i.e. American uh, formatting of floating points when I'm parsing my JSON, because that is what JSON requires. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm displaying that data to a user, I want to use the language-specific formatting that that user is familiar with. So the problem with 
the current locale system is that you kind of are a bit stuck. For most of the interfaces that we provide in the standard library, you have to say, this is the locale that I'm using on a global static variable. Okay. So you can't, you can't say, I want to read this particular file with this assumption about locale, but write out to this particular file with this assumption about locale. Which, of course, is something that is a quite plausible scenario. That's correct. That's, it's right. And to make matters worse, you can do that, but that's a thread unsafe operation to change that global thing. <laughs> that, that, that's correct. And to make- So you can say, like, I'm going to set the locale, read, set the locale, something else, and write, and you've, you're going to get data races. To make things worse, this is all... And just to make it more fun... Uh, yes, yes. To make it more fun, you, since you mentioned locales and writing to a file... Well, you have to have a, a way to name a file, right? Which means the, the file has a name, which, uh, depending on how you look at it, has a locale associated with it, or doesn't, or has an encoding associated with it, or doesn't. <laughs> Sometimes it's just bytes. Um, you know, it... And then to make things even worse, <laughs> um, all of the locale stuff in the standard library is very heavily based on inheritance and virtual calls and allocating stuff into the heap with unclear lifetimes. So it was state-of-the-art 1990s. Yes. Yes, exactly. I, I don't think it was actually state-of-the-art 1998, but <laughs> yeah, it was state-of-the-art. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> It was state-of-the-art around the mid-80s when POSIX started yeah. working on it and got sucked into C and then into C++. Yeah. And a, it was yeah. one of those things It was one of those things that got uh, into the standard uh, before Stepanoff showed up and showed people how to write code in C++ uh, at scale, right? I mean, like, <laughs> like using templates for polymorphism at compile time instead of runtime polymorphism for everything. That, that was a, a change that happened after iStreams was kind of already solidified. <laughs> okay. And, and, and one of the big challenges here, of course, is that locale in many cases is a runtime thing. <laughs> so, yeah. so you can't necessarily know all the information you need to generate your optimized uh, floating point formatting code at compile time. You might need to have different code paths depending on where what language the user would like you to use. Um, so, and there are there are facilities related to local and library which are just unusable, like std message, for example. <laughs> so, what is std message? What it, is std oh, you're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we shouldn't even go there. Maybe it's just not worth doing. Is that too big a rant for? Um, uh, the, the fact that you've never heard of it tells you what you should know about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how much you should know about it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So. So this is history. This is the state. Uh, locale suck. Uh, what are we doing for 23 and beyond? Well, so, John, this is actually a good place to inject something we talked about before the, the show, which is that um, part of the reason we don't have this stuff in C++ is that Unicode is just hard inherently. Okay. And um, the reason it's inherently difficult is that... Um, you know, you get the Chomsky, Chomsky hierarchy of languages. You've got regular languages at one end. You've got natural languages at the other. So uh, natural languages are, in some sense, the opposite of regular, right? They're, they're the, the most anti-regular things you can have. So all kinds of exceptions or weird edge cases and oddnesses. And we've tried to take every known language and a few dead languages. And, um, you know, there's a user space where you can put Klingon and stuff. And we're trying to take all these possible languages 
and we're going to make uh, a small fixed number of algorithms that works for all of them. And it's literally impossible for some of the algorithms to do that. Um, so there's there's a lots of Unicode algorithms, and even in the Unicode standard, it'll say like, oh, this works except uh, if you're speaking Greek. Uh, then you need to add these exceptions if you really want it to work for Greek. Give me, give me an example of what you mean by a Unicode algorithm. So the capitalization algorithm. Okay, so if you want to uppercase something, or better yet, if you want to title case something, um, it, you need a special algorithm for the Greek language because um, you you use a different um, uh, final sigma character if the thing is uppercase versus lowercase, but only if the sigma comes at the end. <laughs> Um, and, and there's a bunch of weird things like that. There's, there's also an exception in, uh, um, uh, in uh, Dutch as well. Uh, so the Unicode algorithm, as specified, says we know that um, uh, we, we, we tend to target European languages first, but even these two major European languages, we don't support them fully. And here's how you can fix it if you want to, if you want to, to, to fix it. But it's not part of the basic algorithm. So does, the, uh, so does that mean that German – I mean, doesn't German have this delightful thing where there's a – there's a character that's a single character in capital, but two characters in lower or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's set. Yeah. So there's, that's there's set. actually a special case for that um, as well. But that's in the algorithm. That's, um, that's... But I, if I remember correctly, that is in the algorithm. Uh, I could be wrong about that. That might be one of the exceptions. But um, it's anyway, it's all listed in, in that document. <laughs> There's another document about uh, right to left versus left to right text because you can have like left to right embedded in right to left, embedded in left to right, embedded in right to left, up to 127 depth, <laughs> uh, which is in, completely bananas. But uh, so if you have that, um, there's a bunch of uh, cases that just don't work. And and for that one, like so I've implemented all these algorithms in this thing. That I'm going to plug this for a second. It's a boost text. It's on GitHub. The reason I'm plugging it is not because I want everyone to know my name and use my library, but because this is the only large-scale implementation in a modern, like, range-friendly style, um, like, modern C++ kind of library of the Unicode algorithms. And so it is the closest thing we have to a path forward for standardizing the Unicode algorithm. So I'd really like people to get their hands on it so I know if I've made a mistake so that if I'm trying to standardize this stuff later, I, I get caught in it. So that's the plug. We're programmers. Of course, there's not consensus. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Um, there's, there's broad consensus. I think there's, I think there's general consensus in the direction. There's, um, not consensus on specific details that, that we need to work out. Yeah. So when I say that, when I say that it's the only way forward, I'm not saying that it's the consensus way forward. I'm saying it's literally the only library I know of that's tried to do this. So it's the only game in town. Um, so we may decide that we don't want to do this direction, but right now it's the only um, direction we have. It's the point about which we argue, the basis of our argument. Yeah, it, it, it's the only thing, exactly. It's the only thing forward now um, to do all the Unicode algorithms in a modern style. Like that, that's all I mean by that. I'm not saying it's the, the right thing, but it's the default thing. Is there any contention about that that's what we want to do? Do we want all those algorithms in the standard? I don't think there's any real contention on that. It's more, it's more the details um it's like what what are the lowest units that we traffic in um is, uh do we take in car data to transform it into something else or um uh, do the breaking algorithms give you a text view or do they give you graphene clusters or a lot of details and naming things uh, i think there we're broadly in agreement that we want something that looks like ranges. Uh, 
just because ranges are awesome for dealing with these kinds of things. <laughs> ranges, ranges are the future. Um, especially for providing algorithms. Ranges are uh, state-of-the-art for 2020s. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, <laughs> in 15 years, you'll be saying, what were we thinking with ranges? <laughs> <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> it won't take out. Well, the thing is, in, in functional functional languages, uh, lazy ranges have been a thing for decades, and they've been really useful, and we just only got them in 2020 and C++. So hopefully they'll be state-of-the-art. They'll stay state-of-the-art because, you know. Okay. They're, they're, they're a good idea. But so um, the, they're fundamental. I, I think where the most can, uh, the most contention is in, in my approach is that I've made some very opinionated choices about simplicity because as, as Steve was saying, we wanted to make, make it possible for people to do the right thing easily and not do the wrong thing by mistake. So I'm trying to go in this radical simplicity route. And um, I know that was going to ruffle feathers and it sure did. But the, so I, I made some choices, particularly with, the text type, the text type being like a string-like thing that is Unicode aware. So it traffics in uh, graphing clusters instead of characters, and, and um, you can get code points and characters out of it at a lower level. So that's contentious because I picked a particular Unicode uh, encoding. I picked UTF-8, and I picked a particular Unicode normalization, which is uh, this thing called... Um, uh, I'm forgetting the acronym now. It's very close to FCC. FCC, thank you. It's very close to NFC. <laughs> um, so I pick those for technical reasons that I feel like are sound, but they're not the only choices, and it's reasonable for other people to want to do other things. There was even someone on the boost list when I brought up this, um, uh, uh, you know, the idea of, of getting this uh, into boost. Uh, someone said, like, well, I would never use this because all my data is not NFC, it's NFD, right? this other normalization form. Um, so but I think the thing that that is um, the most likely thing to be um, more or less unchanged that I've that I put in this library is to make the Unicode algorithms look like they do. So like um, Stepanov style algorithms with input iterators and output iterators, but in a range style. So you have the the uh, iterator based algorithms at the base, and then you have the range based versions, and you even have lazy ranges for most of them as well. Uh, so it's like the Stepanov algorithm ranges and view kind of triple that we expect from uh, all our algorithms these days. I see. Um, so something we were talking about earlier, Peter, was kind of the difference between the data structure and what, how we conceptualize that. You were talking about the difference between a string and text. And I think for a lot of programmers, that's the same thing. But when we get into it, we have to just make a distinction. So what was the distinction you were thinking about? So... One thing that people think is a meaningful operation on a string, i.e. a vector-like collection of code units, is they think it's meaningful to substring it, to, like, drop the last three characters. Okay. I say characters with inverted commas here. When you go into Unicode land, that's a very debatable operation. Because what it's a string of are not characters but code points which can combine into code unit yes code units which can combine into some human perceived character yes so right. You right where a code unit is like a a one octet of a utf-8 sequence and if you just take two of them away you might have just chopped things in the middle right but even if you avoid that um, if you just took off the last code point, 
that might have been an accent grave, and now you're misspelling someone's right. name. So uh, the things that we might normally think of, like, oh, I'd like to print this and it's too long, I'll just chop it here. Um, mm -hmm. That's hard. Doesn't, uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, deciding that your sweater is too long and we're just going to just going to snip off the bottom of the sweater. It's all going to unravel. Yes. You, you don't have a nice, neat point where you can just chop it because, because of the, uh, the, the, the data doesn't match data point to data point into characters. Right. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about because the, a string is a vector of, of, of data where mm -hmm. the data isn't a character that we perceive. Instead, it's something that maps and possibly maps not one-to-one. -one. The reason this is such a big problem in C++ is because, unfortunately, the C++ developer community is quite Anglo-centric. So when they do something like truncate a string by chopping off uh, chars from the end of their stood string, it works fine for them because they're only working with, uh, tech, with text that is in uh, probably English. Cybrand si mm -hmm. just... Or tweeted something, I think it was just this morning, about, you know, working on a team that's all English and uh, none of the code works in any non-Latin characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and Cy Brand is, in fact, the person who is to blame for my presence in C++ standardization, <laughs> by the way. So uh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, John, just a quick bit of terminology, because I know there's a lot of people that don't know uh, the Unicode terminology. So, so there's three levels of sort of character data. Um, very again, very loosely, character doesn't mean what it means. It doesn't mean char. Um, uh -huh. uh, in, in Unicode, it means a lot of different things, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> so, the, the first level is like uh, the code unit. And so, let's say an example is UTF-8. So, there, there's a one to four code units uh, that make up a Unicode code point. And a code point is like vaguely like a character, right? Okay. Uh, that you would think of, like it's um, either uh, a, a sort of a whole character you would see, or maybe it's a character that combines with another character, but it's a code point, right? So it's a logical unit. It's a it's a logical unit. The letter A and the and the accent symbol; those are both logical units, and each one has their own code point. That's right. And mm -hmm. the two of them together, and you could have the letter A with an accent unit, and that's yet a different code point. Yes, and so th that's an interesting thing. So. You can have the two code point version, the A and the umlaut, or you can have the A with the umlauts, one code point. Okay, Unicode says I don't care which form of that you have. If I say, if I ask you if those two are equal, you better say yes because otherwise I can't reason about anything with regard to text. Right. If so, what that means is that I can't just—I don't know how to say this—I can't create an algorithm just mathematically compares two strings, yes. uh, character by character, or data point by data point or whatever we want to call it, because there can be magical combinings that I can't mathematically derive. I absolutely just have to know this particular code, this accent can combine with this particular code, this vowel, but this particular code could never combine with M because we don't have an accented M, right? I mean, and there's no way to know this by looking at the code. You have to have a rule somewhere that's kind of an arbitrary human language rule. That's right. Yeah. So StirComp and other um, essentially memory scrubbing, um, simple comparison algorithms, like the way you would write um, operator equals for your simple string type that isn't Unicode aware, those are both too naive to ever work in a Unicode world. They're supposed to compare those two things as 
the same thing only if they're in the same normalization form, then they can do a, a, a strict bite-wise um, comparison. So, so we deal with um, these things called graphene clusters, which are like the A with the combining thing, but I treat them as one thing, even though it's two code points. And those in turn might be multiple code units because it's encoding UTF-8, right? Or something like that. So there's sort of three levels of thinking about the data. There's the code unit, like individual um, uh, data, individual one data at a time, individual units of, of data. And then there's the code points that they uh, comprise, and the code points also comprise graphing clusters. Um, and it, it's, you know... <laughs> Every time you every time we talk about a Unicode algorithm to someone who doesn't know Unicode, everyone's like, "Why is this is so stupid? Why is this so complicated? Why is this so hard?" <laughs> and and that's exactly the way I felt about it until I wrote a Unicode library. And I'm like, "Oh, it has to be this way because of reasons, because of all the all the stuff that has to happen to make this stuff work." Um, and the reasons are as uh, varied as they are boring to non Unicode people, but but they're there, and and uh, all the stuff is there for a reason, and all that complexity, unfortunately, you have to uh, capture. And some of the some of those reasons that they're there go back to what you were talking about, John, earlier with the uh, code pages yeah. and such, which are are very much still alive and still a thing. Um, but if you you know, look at some of those code page, code pages, they had single byte uh, character assignments for like the A with the umlaut, and so for compatibility purposes, Unicode had to have a representation for that. But then they also wanted to be able to do the combining right. thing, and so you know that legacy is what brought in this complexity that that we have to maintain, um, even though we would love to move away from code pages. Yeah. I mean, it, in Unicode, it's totally legal to write that M with an umlaut over it. That's well-formed. There just isn't a... Any language that makes sense of that. Cannot, that does that. <laughs> like, no known words are spelled that way. Except for, except for heavy metal. Heavy metal umlauts are allowed in Unicode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but your but your fonts will be very entertaining when you do things like that. So, yeah, I, I, uh, but this comes up in normalization, like where they, uh, as Zach was alluding to, it's like um, there's a whole database that says, oh, if you have an A followed by an accent grab, that combines together and maps to this particular code point. So when you're deci- trying to decide, are these strings equal? You have to put it into um, one of the, the normalization algorithms, either a combined or completely dis- uh, um, decomposed form so that you know that, okay, now I can do the bitwise comparison. Okay. Um, how, much, how much data is there to that? I mean, setting aside the algorithms themselves. I mean, if I, if I were to write something and it had to include a Unicode library because I plan to, this is what I want to do. I want to read strings from files. So I can't pre-compute anything. I'm reading it from a file and I want to compare strings and they can be formatted in whatever way they're from different sources. How much data? A lot, but less than you'd expect. Yes. And, and this has, this has come up recently. We have a proposal for supporting a, named character escapes in the standard. So instead of like the backslash U, N-N-N-N, we want to do a backslash N and a brace and then a name for a character because the code point value doesn't mean anything to somebody reading the code. That's really handy. I'm going to give it a name. And that requires, yes, and it, it requires a database of names. But that database could be known only by the compiler, right? Yes. Correct, which is still a concern for some people. 
Yeah, because we want our compilers to be able to fit in 4K. Even even if it is just no net composite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, apparently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> some do, because so, some, people, some people have distributed build systems where they ship around the compiler, and believe it or not, the size of the compiler contributes to the latency involved in that and affects their build times. So they do some care. People that, some people that are, uh, let's say they're not frugal, <laughs> I won't say which company is, but they're not frugal. They have a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so fortunately, and Corinne should should get so, to address. This. So, with with this proposal, we, we we were challenged. But they but they yeah. want to be frugal with compile size, compiler size. Yes, we were challenged on database size, and so Corinne actually went and did some great work about you know how much how can we minimize this data. He has a, a wonderful blog post about it. Oh, so I should have directed the question specifically to you, Corden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So actually, I've um, I've done that work on for um, code point names uh, in both directions, going from name to code point and uh, the other way around. Uh, that is about 250k for all the name, and uh, obviously the name are the biggest um, database they have, right? Because name are maybe. It re really depends on the rule. Like, so some properties are like uh, one byte for the entire Unicode database because there's like only one character that has that properties. Oh, and uh, some properties are a few, maybe a few uh, tens of 100K. Uh, one of the biggest pro um, database, for example, is uh, what version uh, each character has been standardized in, right? Because obviously you, you need that property for every character, so that's a bit big, but you don't use that often. So uh, the thing you actually need, like capitalization, normalization, that's like not really big. Uh, it's not yeah. free, right? Because uh, text manipulation is expensive. So to give you one data point, um, my library has all the major Unicode algorithms in it. Uh, there's a few like sort of optional ones that I didn't do. To, to drive all of those. So there's more character data than, than you need for, strictly for the algorithms. But if you just want to implement the algorithms, uh, the database I have is, I think, um, I think it's 2.1 megabytes as, as, a, as a shared library com, uh, script. So that includes all the data and the code uh, to, to access those data. The algorithms themselves are in headers, so they're not part of that number. Uh, so that's, that's a rough estimate of, of how big it is. And I've done some work to get that smaller. In fact, I, I think it's an old number. I think it's... Maybe more like 1.5. Um, yes, that sounds more. But it also depends on the platform. It depends on the the, the, the binary format of your SOS and all that. Kind but of that stuff. also um, has a nice selfie of you in, in Hawaii or something like. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's just the data. Okay. Um, Constructed from emojis, of course. Uh, that I, I think that's bigger than I would have expected, but. Yeah, and well, you know, we're talking about all known human languages. So, yeah. <laughs> how many exceptions yeah, can there be? There's a bunch of stuff in there uh, that uh, is used really infrequently, like Quentin said, and it's but you need it in there for some of the algorithms. And so, if you just restrict yourself to some subsets of the algorithms, the database is much much smaller. In fact, one of the databases, the database for normalization, is literally inline in a header um, because it's small enough to fit in a CPP file. It's not a big deal. Um, so. Okay, we don't have a lot of time left, and I, I promised you all an opportunity to rant. Is there anybody who wants to rant about something that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, yeah, Steve. Steve, rant, rant away, crazy. Steve. But, okay, well, no, go ahead, Steve. I, I have bad news for everyone. It, um, 
We have a, a goal for C plus plus twenty three. We're not going to allow you to throw poo anymore. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate um, on this? <laughs> yes, it's like we're fixing. This came out of a defect report against uh, C plus plus twenty and earlier. Um, the characters that we allow and identifiers are a mess. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, back in 98 and allowed all sorts of things that are just terrible. Um, things like left to right modifiers. So someone could stick a left to right modifier in um, an extern symbol and then your stack trace is going to come out backwards. Um, it's no fun. Um, fortunately, uh, since then, the Unicode uh, standards group has published a pretty good technical specification about what things are allowed in identifiers. Um, things that look like words. Emojis don't make the list. So are emojis in the Unicode standard then? Yes. Yes. It's like, uh, it's like they're the ones standardizing all of the, all of the emojis and um, emojis are very complicated to process. Uh, poo isn't too bad because it's just one. But as soon as you now have Not modified by skin color or any of the other things that emojis have to be right, you have the modifications, genders and um, zero width joiners and flags and how they work. It's all very complicated. And when the Unicode consortium says, don't do that, it's probably a good idea to listen. Um, so right so now, will... so this is one of the things that I actually do for conference work is when you make mm -hmm. a submission, if anywhere in your title or your abstract, you use angle brackets, which of course people do all the time because they're saying, mm -hmm. you know, uh, here's this example of template code or here's something like that. What I do is I process that and replace it with what are full width, less than and full width, greater, something like that. Yeah. that <laughs> look almost the same to humans, but the, but, they're processed differently. So they're not, because the problem of course is if I take an abstract and then I push it to something like sked.com and it all vanishes, it's going to see those angle brackets as some kind of HTML thing. And of course it won't find the tag. It'll just ignore it. And so people reading the abstract are going to say, what are you, this is nonsense. It doesn't make sense. So, mm -hmm. uh, but what that means is someone, not like an innocent person like me, but somebody might <laughs> create an identifier in C++ with a full width, uh, less than or greater than, and someone reading the code might not appreciate that that's not actually an operator that the compiler is going to see in process and instead is actually just the name of a variable or type yes. or something like that. And um, in fact, a lot of those got, it got eliminated. All the things that are in the, in the list of allowed characters look like letters, basically. So aren't you worried that that might break existing code? <laughs> Considering how hard it is to write Unicode and C++, not really. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it, it could... Clang, Clang allows it, and GCC 10 is going to start allowing UTF-8 as an input. So this is something we want to get ahead of a little bit. I see. Um, but, yeah, right now, no one... You would have to write slash U, number, 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 and but deliberate... It... <laughs> Basically, it shows up in people's unit tests. For compiler writers. Well, or in tweets. So we're breaking a yeah. lot of tweet code. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to yeah. break all your slideware. Yeah. This but, is one of those situations where, yes, we know that there is potential for breakage, and no, we do not care at all. <laughs> like, we just don't, we don't care about the, yeah. 
you know, the, the poo exception type, you know. The, the, the argument... And Steve's shirt. The argument being made is any code, any code this brokes is already broken. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Steve's shirt il- illustrates this yeah. exactly. <laughs> but you need to stand up all the way so we see the... All right, so you're going to read that to us, Steve? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. It's like, sorry, not because sorry. Because <laughs> not everybody's going to see this on video. But you have a... Th- this is actually a picture of, of a tweet that you made. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's a... Got a, unfortunately got a little ahead of my, my wife made the t-shirt um, in Belfast uh, EWG had forwarded it to core and we were all like yes and then on the mailing list core said uh, we've got some questions so we're going to be discussing it a little bit more in um, in Varna uh, but essentially it's like core said well do how are you addressing the preprocessor? And we're like, why do we have to address the preprocessor? <laughs> okay. So what your shirt says is it, the shirt is a picture of of your tweet, tweet. in mm-hmm. which you said, it's my fault you can't throw the poo emoticon anymore. Semicolon. Semicolon. Anymore. Okay. Um, if you listen to the podcast, I'll put this in as a chapter art at this point. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then underneath... On your shirt, it says, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So in other words, if if we broke any of your code doing this, you had it coming. Yeah. It's like, you you should have known better. You should have known better. Your coworkers are not appreciating your Unicode puns in your code. <laughs> and, and to put this, the more serious side to it, you know, if you... Part of the motivation of this is security concerns, right? You can imagine a pull request to you know an important code base, uh, where if you read the code, it looks perfectly fine. But the fact that identifiers that look exactly the same are not the same identifier because of some zero width character that's been inserted or something like that. Exactly, like it's it, that's a real. There's some real potential for you know, abuse there. And unfortunately, there's also, uh, this is where normalization comes in again, because you can have A with a combining umlaut or the A with an umlaut. Those should be the same thing in terms of when I look at it in my editor, I see the same thing. So they better be the same identifier. And this, the state of affairs before Steve's paper about this was that those were actually different. Even though they, they, in your editor, they looked identical. You could have A umlaut, auto A umlaut equals one, auto A umlaut equals two, and that compiles and links and everything's cool. So that shouldn't be. Speaking Twitter, uh, speaking of Twitter, for those of you who are not watching but are only listening, uh, Zach's been live tweeting uh, this entire show <laughs> <laughs> with a little with a little friend in a cage behind him there. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hello, little friend. Um, so we're we're kind of at an end here, uh, mm-hmm. not because we've run out of um, things to talk about. But because we've run out of it's time. an hour, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been an hour and it's been a great hour. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you guys got as much chance to rant as you needed, um, because I mean, who whoever gets enough chance to rant? But um, we do want to wish everybody at home safe coding. So please join me and say to everyone, safe coding, safe coding, safe coding, safe coding, safe coding, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding.